Hello, comic creators. Welcome to the second episode of the Comics Connection podcast. My name is Gamal Hennessy. With me is Andy Schmidt. And this is going to be the last podcast that we are going to be doing for 2022. So what I wanted to do in this podcast is actually talk about some of the major issues that have been going on within the comic book industry and kind of get our thoughts on where we think things are going for the next year. Uh, Andy, we talked about doing this kind of wrap up for like a week. And then as we were doing the notes this morning, we realized we had to put in a story that was actually, it was indicative of what's been happening all year, but it literally happened, I want to say less than 48 hours ago. And that is the um, news with Aftershock. You want to tell the people what happened? What's happening? I mean, I don't. Uh, it's pretty sad news. Uh, action. So at the time we're recording this, this happened yesterday. Action Shock. Aftershock filed for uh, the comics publisher filed for bankruptcy. Um, in the brief, it's clear. Like, I mean, they list out who all they owe money to. And it is a very long list. Um. Yeah, so a lot of people are getting hosed here. Um, a lot of creators, a lot of vendors, you know, printers, distributors, I'm sure, all on down the line are getting are getting hosed here. And um, it's terrible. It's terrible for everybody involved. But yeah, yes. that's what happened. Yes. And the, well, it's part of a, I believe it is part of a larger trend um news about rumblings about aftershock have been going on for at least four five months i've had a few clients come to me confidentially and say you know we're not getting paid by aftershock but aftershock's not the only one in the i guess in the aftermath of the recession with a lot of startup companies emerging media companies counting on new rounds of investment on the model that they're going to be able to turn their IP into movies and TV and stuff like that, a lot of that money dried up. So companies that might have been thinking they're going to get another few million to keep the doors open, all of a sudden found those options closed. And because they weren't necessarily in the black in actually just you know selling comics, they are now finding themselves with very little money. The thing is, Aftershock's not the... It's not an isolated incident. You have other companies like Oni, like Valiant, like Action Lab is still going through significant litigation with their creators for you know stuff that happened during the pandemic. So it's for all of the publishing companies that I think were counting on Netflix calling them and then translating that into like profit, they may find that they have to rethink their business models. Although I do know of quite a few companies on the other end that while they might not be profitable just from selling their books, they are, they are getting more rounds of funding. So it's not like the money has dried up completely. And there are other companies that are just growing within the, the comic book printing publishing business itself. You look at companies like Mad Cave, just announced a major expansion a few months ago. Um, Vault got a new round of funding. So there's, it's not everybody's, you know, sliding off the deep end. 
It's, but it is a growing trend. Does that, any of that make sense, sir? I, it makes sense to me. I just, I draw a very big distinction between companies that stay afloat because angel investors or whatever are, are giving them money because that can dry up at any point. Like they're, mm-hmm. you know, different investors have different reasons for, for not giving you more money. Um, and so, and that's more or less what happened with Aftershock, right? They just got to a point where they were out over their skis enough that investors looked at that and they said, the risk isn't worth it. Um, oversimplification, but that's basically what happened, I would think. Um, so, you know, it's one thing to stay afloat that way, but like to some extent, like that you still don't necessarily, I mean, you can be raising money from investors and have a successful business model where the where the things you do, the products you make are are successful. But it's really hard to start up a comics publisher and start making money. You know, most of these that, that go out and get cash, then they want to make a splash. They want to, you know, part of it is you got to show your investors, like, look, we're, we got the coolest creators. We got, the, so you're like, you're in this like weird bind, like right from the beginning. Um, so, you know, but how many of these companies, I have no idea. Are, are they turning a profit just based on operating or are they, or is it a combination, you know, or are they not yet? Um, and that's not to say that I begrudge anyone going out and getting investor money. Like that's a perfectly viable business model, but probably we will see some other companies that as, you know, as Netflix deals dry up, investors are less likely to invest because uh-huh. Netflix isn't buying as much stuff. Neither is Amazon prime or all those are like, that's already happening. And that's going to have an effect on the comics market on the amount of money in the comics market. So it's, uh, I would say it is a very um, turbulent time to be trying to get your publishing company up off the ground. Says the guy who has a publishing company, he's uh trying to get it off. Yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) Well, it just means you're not taking your own advice. That's all that means. That's there's nothing wrong with that. Um, But what I want to, what we talk about a lot when we're in the Discord and we're in the live Q and A's is the idea of profitability being the just the you're making more money than you're spending so if you're starting out small and you're putting out one book every three months but every time you put out the book you're bringing in more money than you're putting out you have no matter how small it is that is a successful business model it is the reverse is not necessarily true if you get a bunch of money to bring in top creators and all this other kind of stuff because you think you're going to maybe make a movie and you start just burning through cash. That's not that. I believe that is the inferior business model to just starting small, growing things over time. Um, The other thing is bankruptcy is not from a business standpoint. Bankruptcy is not death. Marvel went bankrupt. Quite a few other comic book publishers went bankrupt that are still around. So while this is not, this is not in any way, shape or form the best news for Aftershock or the people Aftershock owes money to, it doesn't mean that Aftershock is gone. We don't know that yet. We shall see. Right. Um, moving on to the next major kind of trend or shift in con- the comic book industry over the past 12 to 18 months is the issue of distribution Um, for, I don't know, since the mid nineties, if you wanted to get into the direct market in comics, you had to go through diamond 
there were really no other decent options. Now, with the end of the pandemic and the rise of like Lunar and Simon and & Schuster and Penguin all reaching into this market, I think a lot of publishers, and I know Comics Beat was actually keeping a scorecard at one point of who was going to what distributor and when and what they were doing. Um, but Andy, because you have a publishing company, I think it, you have a lot more insight on how each distributor affects how the business works and what it is that you're getting and what it is that you're giving up. So why don't you enlighten the people? Yeah, of course. Also, because I also have a comics and graphic novel printing business, um, even the ones that CEX, the publishing business, doesn't have a deal with, I still wind up working with all the other ones too because I'm <laughs> sending other publishers' books to Simon & Schuster or PRH or wherever. So, um, uh, so yeah, I mean, you, you summarize it pretty well. There was basically one road to take, <clears throat> and now you've got you've got a lot of different options. Um, CEX, the publishing company that, that I run, we go through Diamond and we go through Lunar. Mm -hmm. uh, Lunar is what DC Comics left Diamond uh, to go to. Technically, they went to two distributors, Lunar and UCS, but they went all in on Lunar not too long after that. Um, they're different. They're located in different places. They have a different deal structure. They operate differently. They just have different logistics. Um, they have different attitudes, you know, like, I mean, just working with them, uh, with those two alone is very different. I also work with, um, uh, independent publishers group, mainly known as IPG for my bookstore distribution, library distribution, which I think you're going to talk to, mm -hmm. um, I like the options, right? I, I, I'm not a big fan of putting all my eggs in one basket. Um, mm -hmm. So actually when Lunar came about and started to look like they were stable, um, then that actually was one of the things that convinced me that then was the time to try and publish. Um, because during the pandemic diamond shut down and I, you know, there was a lot of talk of like how much cash do they actually have? How long can they afford to do this? Blah, blah, blah. Mm -hmm. And it just, you know, it gives, gives one pause. If that's, if you need that company that you don't have any control over to be in business, that's probably not a great business model, um, mm -hmm. for yourself. So I'm a fan of the diversification of of this you know penguin random house started distributing comics they distribute marvel idw and dark horse now um uh and then diamond still has image comics and i think boom and um another you know several other larger ones and then i think fewer publishers are going with those exclusive contracts where they're with one uh where they're with one distributor only um and so i think you're going to see um, you're going to see some that have diamond contracts that are exclusive start to move over. Lunar, as far as I know, they don't even ask for an exclusive of anyone. Like it's just not part of what they do. Um, uh, so yeah, I think it's ultimately, I think it's a good thing, uh, for, for the industry. Um, and, um, more competition is good. It just means everybody has to get smarter. Everybody has to pay attention to what they're pricing things because I could go somewhere else if your prices are too high. So yeah, I think mm. it's good. Well, I have two follow-up questions. One, do you feel like the retailers, the ones who are ultimately buying the comics 
are they as enthusiastic about all the different buying options or did they prefer to just know that to deal with the devil they already knew? Well, that's a really great question. And they all kind of, I think general, I mean, I'm massively generalizing here. I think they fall into three camps. Those that really just want to stick with diamond because that's what they know and that's what they love. And they've got loyalty, which I can appreciate those that have found that they really enjoy working with, with lunar and interacting with lunar and the way lunar packs their books. Uh, and then you, I think you have those that are just like, uh, yeah, this is fine. I'll go with whatever option makes the most sense for me. But there are some interesting things that I won't get into here, but, but like that have sort of come to light as whenever you have one group doing a thing, providing a service, and then another group comes and provides the same or very, very similar service, you start to realize things about that first group that you may not have known before. Um, and so there's been a lot of like sort of eye-opening things of like, oh, I didn't know that Diamond did that. And that can be, those can be good things and bad things, right? It could right. be like, oh, I think maybe I got overcharged on this for the last decade. Or it could be, you know, something like, oh, you know what? This other service doesn't provide that. I never really thought of that as a benefit with Diamond, but turns out it really is. So it, it I think it expands um, the the intelligence within the comics community just by the nature of that competition and being able to look at you know you look at sort of two apples one's red one's green do they taste different do they polish differently do they whatever so um so i think hopefully most retailers see it as a good thing because they have the option too right um i think the ones that get frustrated are probably the ones that are like i have to order from three distributors and that takes a lot longer like i can i totally get that just as a time management thing that can be more more difficult. Okay. Well, then I guess my last question before I move on to the next topic is if you're a, like a lot of the members of Comics Connection are emerging publishers or independent publishers, how should they kind of look at the landscape and decide which distributor they should go with for their individual comic if they're only putting out, let's say, two, three comics each? Um, I would still recommend if they can get into in with more than one distributor to to do it. Um, mm -hmm. The thing that you want to look at is if shipping to two different locations is going to be an issue for you financially. I think that would be part of it. But there's a good chance that, you know, I don't know that all distributors are going to take all people like Diamond has a threshold and right. um, I'm not sure if Lunar does or not. But um, but you know, what, what I did when, when trying to get CEX off the ground, before we started producing comics, I was, I was talking with multiple distributors. I wanted to get my infrastructure in place so that I knew that if I did put out a comic, I was, it would go like it would, mm -hmm. it would make it to, to fans and there would be some revenue from it. Um, so I signed with IPG and with Diamond before we released our first comic and Lunar shortly thereafter, I think we were about five months, five, six months in. Um, okay. And then that's been really, it's been really good. And it turns out different distributors have different strengths and weaknesses. So some books actually perform better at Lunar, some perform better at Diamond. Um, I didn't, I was sort of surprised that that, uh, that seemed to be the case. Um, but, you know, that may be that certain shops, certain types of shops or certain types of shops owners prefer Diamond and others prefer Lunar and they might different comics might appeal to those different. I don't, I can't, I don't have the data to say what 
the reason is for that. Okay, because that was going to be my next question. Do you then, when a new book comes down the pipeline, do you put it into a different distributor based on the past performance of similar books through those distributors? Not yet. I mean, I'm still collecting data for ourselves, but uh, just in what does well there. You know, we've been publishing for about a year, so our data set is fairly limited. Um, and the market has been changing that whole year. You know, everything mm. that we talked about at the beginning about all the different publishers and the like the way the entertainment, the whole entertainment industry is realigning. Like you're seeing all those articles about streaming services. Like there's a big article in the New York Times yesterday about AMC and their streaming service. Now they've got all these like super cool shows that are super popular, but the streaming service is killing them because it, it's not the revenue they were getting from cable. So right. as all of those things shift on the bigger entertainment side, it all impacts us. So the the whole industry has been in flux the whole time I've been publishing and uh, seems like month to month. I feel like I'm in a different, in a different market each month. It's fascinating is my positive spin on it. It's fascinating. Well, I mean, that's one of the reasons why we kind of put together comics connection because the, the, because the industry is shifting in this time period that people are putting together these comics, the industry that they knew when they started to make their comic and the industry that, occurs or they have find themselves in when the comic comes out is going to be different so as we're having these conversations there's a lot of good conversations in the discord and the q a's where people are talking about how things are shifting and the good thing is because a lot of people have smaller operations they can be very nimble as long as they actually understand what's going on so i think that's where the benefit is of trying to make sure that you can put out the story you want to put out in a way that you don't shoot yourself in the foot, which is actually a segue into our discussion about the next major topic, which is um, censorship and how censorship has actually become a much more prominent issue yet again in the comic book industry, especially in relation to libraries and schools. There has been a push in quite a few school districts and um, political districts around the country, especially around the election, revolving specifically around banning books and specifically banning comics and graphic novels because of their content. And usually when we say because of their content is because they have um, LGBTQ themes or they have diversity themes or they have the, it's really a push, an attack on the young adults and new reader kind of market. The most prominent case was the gender queer case that I believe was down in Virginia, where the entire law was challenged and struck down as unconstitutional, but that has not stopped a lot of other, a lot of other political groups from using comics and graphic novels as a way to stir up for want of a better word, the culture war. And talking to other attorneys and other people who are involved in this, they seem to have come to the conclusion that it is easier for a group that wants to censor something to censor a graphic novel, primarily because if it was in a book, they'd have to read the whole book and they're not gonna read the book. If it's a graphic novel, they can flip through it, find whatever image they want and go, okay, that's not cool. And we're gonna ban that whole book. So. Mouse got banned. Um, 
genderqueer got banned. V for Vendetta got banned. So the, the problem is, well, there's a good, there's an upside, there's a downside. The problem is the library market, the bookstore market are at one of the fastest growing markets for comics and graphic novels because it is up to now, up to the past five, 10 years has been an underserved market. So it's financially beneficial to get into that market, but then you have to deal with the issue of censorship, which you is less something that you have to worry about less when you're talking about, you know, comic book shops or thing like Kickstarter or things like that. The good side, and Andy, you may or may not have an opinion about this, is for a lot of people who didn't necessarily know about these books to begin with, as soon as they get banned, all of a sudden, the people who want to read them go, oh, this book that I didn't know about is being banned. Now, because it's being banned, I'm going to go out and buy it. I'm going to go out and buy it for other people. I'm actually going to raise the sales of all of these books because someone decided that they wanted to ban the book. That is the censorship issue in a nutshell. And it, I believe it will continue as we get into new political cycles because it is it can easily be turned into a hot button issue. You got Andy. I I mean, you said everything I would have said and more. And you said it with more authority, you being an attorney and all. Yeah, well, yeah, that's that's part of what you spend the money on law school doing. You spend the money sounding like you know exactly what it is that you're talking about. Yeah. Even if you well, don't. yeah, I mean, everything you said, I agree with growing market. Um you know, the sort of the using using graphic novels to create wedge issues in public schools and in libraries and in communities is seemingly very fun for some people, um, uh, less fun for others. Um, so, yeah, I, I, but and I also agree about the backlash, you know, when when, you know, a genderqueer being at the front of that lawsuit or what that lawsuit was really about uh, sales on that book, I do believe spiked quite mm -hmm, a bit. Mm -hmm. um, yep. So, yeah. Yeah. When mouse was getting banned down in Tennessee, um, my wife, my wife was like, what's mouse? I'm like, oh, we have so much work to do, but <laughs> here's mouse one and mouse two. Let's have a family uh -huh. sit down and read, you know? So, yep. Now has any of the books, because you said that you have your, your books are actually being distributed to libraries and bookstores. Have you had any kind of pushback or red flags from anybody saying the your books might there might be a problem with your books in certain districts yet no no and but we like you know the getting your comic out into direct market comic shops and getting a book out in a bookstores those are two very different timelines mm -hmm. uh, like i said we've been we've been putting books out for about a year so our our first book is getting into bookstores and into those markets like just in the next few months so we we haven't had any pushback from our distributor mm -hmm. um and they certainly haven't at least they have not relayed any pushback from any you know barnes and noble or anybody that's looked at our books so as far as i know there hasn't been any pushback yet but we're not exactly sending them you know like super controversial work i mean we do have we do have books with lgbtq plus characters in it we've got i mean we've got books that could be if somebody uh -huh. decided that they were going to target them, but um, but somebody would have to really just kind of make that decision and make that case, which could happen. That's I mean, uh -huh. that's basically what happened. In all the other books we've been talking about, right, 
Okay. Okay. Well, when, if, and when, hopefully it doesn't come to that. Well, maybe hopefully it does. Cause then your sales would spike and then you get so You could use some spiked sales. That'd be great. Yeah. Yeah. Um, the next issue is actually circling back to the issue we talked about extensively last week, which is, and this is an issue that has come up in the last three, four months to become a major issue. And that is the issue of AI comics, not just AI generated art, but AI generated um, scripts and stories. In the past two months, there has been a major profusion of both the technology to create this stuff and the backlash against it. Uh, last week or early this week, a group of editors and some publishers all kind of came out in support of artists and writers and kind of rejecting AI art. But there's still this kind of movement to AI that I believe is going to continue. So I know we talked about it a lot last week, sir, and we're probably going to have to talk about it quite a bit more in 2023. But as the as the ground continues to shift underneath you, what are your thoughts today on AI? Um, they haven't changed a ton. Uh, but one thing that that came up in our Comics Connection forums and Discord and everything was about like what what can we be doing like to protect ourselves as creators? Um, and, and the discussion that we've been having, I think has been actually really, really um, useful, helpful and beneficial because we've been talking about what can you essentially, what can you put in a contract with a publisher? What can you ask for to be put into a contract with a publisher? And, you know, we're kind of seemingly coming to a consensus. And I think that's something you and I have talked about, um, you know, that that's a big enough issue that you might, you know, we might want to try and let folks know, like, here are some ways that you might try and protect yourself. Yeah, I think one of the things that we're going to try to do, and we, we, you and I just started discussing this, like over the past couple of days, is continue to foster that discussion within Comics Connection, but then take some of those results, some of those ideas and share it with the wider comics community. I've been talking to a lot of colleagues in a lot of different areas. And what we might want to do is start out by suggesting language and shifts in business models to actually account for AI right. art, knowing that the entire system is in flux, but also bringing a lot of the, a lot of the stakeholders, a lot of the interested parties together to kind of talk about these issues in some kind of open space. Um, we will yeah. probably we'll we can try to put that together after the holidays. We can't. I'm not going to do it right now because it's Christmas time, and I'm you know not really in the mood. But it is something that I think because we know we have access to attorneys and writers and artists and publishers and some of the people who are even developing these um, artificial intelligence systems. If we can get them all in one place to kind of talk about what's going on. I think that's going to be helpful for a lot of people, even if it's only to establish a baseline of what it is it what is it that's happening and how it is that you can actually deal with it in a way that protects your career and actually deals with the technology as it is as as it is emerging. Yeah, yeah, I mean, and that's and that conversation is going to continue to evolve and change, but 
but but starting it now and making sure that it continues and continues in a way that's um res- respectful i guess or or you know like with an eye towards what are what are the what are the points of pain and how do we address them as they're coming up and knowing that there's not going to be a solution that we come up with today that will likely still fit everything going on three months from now Um, Uh because like uh like you said it is quickly emerging and evolving exactly exactly um okay well the last thing that we have to kind of bring up for the changes or the major things that have been happening in 2022 is not good news because we have the industry itself as a whole has actually lost a significant number of prominent artists and writers and publishers and actors and a lot of people that kind of have defined the comic book industry over the past three or four decades. Um, What we did was we put together kind of a moment of silence montage that we're going to attach to the end of this podcast just to kind of wrap our heads around the people personalities and work that we have lost in 2022 um but andy before i give you the floor the one thing i do want to say about this and i've been saying it like since i started doing the podcast back in april may is that a lot of these individuals have had major impacts on the comic book industry but it's not clear that they had business plans business models so that their work actually benefits the people that they leave behind. I don't know if there's wills, trusts, estates, um, ongoing succession plans for any of the people that we lost this year. But if you're an emerging creator, if you're an independent creator, if you're a publisher and you want your work to live on after you and benefit your successors, your heirs, your kids, you kind of have to consider those plans as part of your overall business model. I mean, in a lot of, in a lot of cases, everyone's trying to get to profitability and they're trying to get to, they have a long-term plan, but that long-term plan has to be, well, your books are going, your characters, your stories are going to outlive you because that is the nature of narrative art. So as part of your business plan, you have to plan for the comic you make still being around when you're not. Yeah. And I'll just tackle sort of the, I mean, that that's all, all true and all great advice in terms of getting set up uh, and prepared for what eventually happens to all of us. Uh, and I'll sort of take the other side of it. The, 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 the PowerPoint you put together, you know, I ran through and, like, I mean, it was just like getting hit by a truck all over again. Like you and I both have worked with a lot of the, and know a lot of the people on this list. And a couple of them I knew actually very, very well. Um, uh, yeah. And it's just, it's pretty gut-wrenching wrenching for me. Um, a lot of really wonderful people. I'm sure some of them were not wonderful. Um, but there were definitely some that were wonderful, um, that loved their fans, that you know loved their families, and were just really great humans, not just great writers and artists. Um, so yeah, I mean, 
I think about several of these people still like every every day and in some cases I can't believe they're gone because they were younger than I thought likely um in some cases it's just you know they've been in my life you know even if I was just a fan for so long that like them not being around is a uh, is strange yeah yeah because one of the things I did in the presentation is try to find that one image or that one cover that was like that's what I thought of when I thought of their name. So to pull up those images, all I'm going to say is if you look at this, the moment of silence and you start to get emotional, you start to cry. I'm sorry that I did that to you. Right. I mean, to yeah, do you that. did that to me. Like, uh, yes. well, yeah, that some of those yeah. things. And I was just like, Ugh, it just hurt. Yeah. <laughs> Hard. Sorry. But um, it is, I think as you we go into the end of the year, you appreciate how much comics have an impact on all of us because some of the things that we've read and some of the things that we've saw from these people kind of what got us into comics in the first place. So I think that appreciation is warranted, especially around this time. So that kind of wraps it up. Andy, we have actually made it to the end of the year. We have done a grand total of two podcasts. So congratulations. Nailed it. Yeah. Um, we will be back in the beginning of the year with more insight and industry analysis. So until then, have fun with your comic and check out Comics Connection if you wanna be part of the ongoing discussions that we're having around these issues and a lot of other things related to your comic book business. There you go, you're done. Done. All right, um, I will attempt to have this edited by I will try to have this edited by six to send to you and then I'll post it like tomorrow. Okay. All right. Sounds good. All right. Uh, and we're meeting with Joanne now. Is that right? Uh, yes. Um, yeah. So let me, um, are we doing that jump in, on the... this, in this link or are we using a different one? We're using the one that we use for the Thursday call, I think. Okay. All right. All right. Well, so I'll, I'll see, see you in like 10 seconds. Yeah. All right, bye.